It's time to think bigger. Elias Pedersen scores! And think bolder. Matthew Kachuk, what a goal! This is Rintoul and Sermon. Another chance, great save by Markstrom. There is shot me back, great save by Tim Cole. On the Sportsnet Radio Network. What's going on? How's your Friday? I hope it's off to a great start. We are going to make it better. Yes, I'm rushing through that because we got a lot to get into. Karen, it is expected to be a very busy Friday. So far, so quiet on the fronts today, Scott, with any breaking news. But I do expect our show over the next four hours, we are going to bring you probably some big news coming out of who knows, Vancouver, Calgary. Where are we going to go? Tampa Bay? I have no idea. But it started a few weeks ago. It got busy again yesterday. I'm pretty excited for these next four hours leading up to tomorrow afternoon. Welcome to the NHL Bazaar. Come one, come all. Whatever activity you're looking for, you will find it here. We've got buyouts, trades, contracts, legal tampering, protection lists, <laughs> side deals. It's all happening right now. It's kind of my Bob Cole being worked in there. Last night, we saw the Ryan Graves deal go down. So we might as well start there because that's something tangible that has actually happened. We're trading in speculation right now, and that's fine. That's mm-hmm. part of what makes sports radio sports radio. And please get in on the speculation. We will ask you to throughout the course of this show, 960-960 or 650-650. We will get you at either of those text message inboxes. Ryan Graves. He was obviously the odd man out on Colorado's blue line. We knew that going into yesterday's show. Seattle is not getting that odd man. Karen, New Jersey antes up to snag the left side blue liner. The Avs shrewdly picked him up three years ago from the Rangers. They helped build that asset up into a more attractive player than the one that cost them just Chris Bigris back in February of 2018. Yeah, so Joe Sackick, Scott, you asked the question yesterday. You got your answer, at least from one NHL franchise. Would they just choose to lose one player, a pretty good asset, or would they go out and use that asset and try and get something back? Joe Sackett looked at it and said, you know what, we're going to lose two players, but for the one player that I think is the biggest guy that can get us a return, I'm not going to lose him for anything. He goes out, he gets a pick and a prospect back, a prospect... Mikhail Amaltsev, who has played some NHL games, he's a left winger, center, you can use him at any point in, he's at least got some NHL game, he's a prospect, who knows where he'll be, probably trends to be in a fourth line center, but Joe Gutakic said, look, I'm not going to lose this player for nothing, I clear some cap space, gives us more flexibility and doesn't play into Seattle's hands. It's a similar cost. It's a similar cost to Victor Arvidsson. That fetched the National Predators a second-round pick and a third-round pick. We debate whether the prospect involved here, the young player involved, is better or worse. But it's a pretty similar price, and it's a pretty similar deal. Two teams that felt they had protection issues, they decided to get Mm -hmm. in front of it. And I am loath to bring my Fantasy Football League into this forum, but I just went through this, and I have mentioned it, and people have laughed at me for it. But I'm telling you, Karen, the decision-making process We're dealing with real assets, but we're talking about a very similar decision. I went through an expansion draft my fantasy football league, and literally you take this approach if you have a deep roster, and Joe Sackick has one. He arguably has one of the deepest rosters in the league. I'm not going to say deepest because Tampa Bay probably sits there right now after everything we talked about with the defending Stanley Cup champions on back-to-back occasions. Do you want to get something, or are you willing to just let something happen? Do I take something less for assets that should be worth more? In a normal year, trading Ryan Graves would likely fetch you more. Or do I Mm -hmm. let an expansion team take that asset for nothing? I made the same decision as Sackett. 
I think that's sound reasoning. If you gain something that allows you to recoup future assets on your roster, I believe that is sound decision-making. In Colorado's case, okay, not only do you get the return in this deal, you also get $2.3 million in cap space. And when you look at what they're trying to do with Gabriel Landis-Cog right now, what they've got to do with mm-hmm. Kale McCarr, with a future deal pending for Nathan McKinnon, Nate McKinnon, cap space is valuable, not to mention the fact they're going to have to figure out their goaltending situation somewhere along the way here in the offseason. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a shrewd move from Joe Sackick because what we have heard is right now Ron Francis is asking for a ton if you want protection help with your list. Basically, Jeff Merrick said it's going to be a first and a third. That's right now, Scott. That could change, but as of right now, or at least when he mentioned it yesterday, this morning, that that's what Ron Francis is looking for. And you're thinking to yourself, is Ryan Graves worth a first and a third? Highly unlikely. So you know what? I'm going to go out and get a second and a prospect I'm still going to get something back and to your point like Joe Sackick has a lot more to do than just this expansion draft he has players to sign and he has major players to sign on this roster do you want your captain back can you figure out something on that and who's your goaltender next year and everything is being done with the look ahead to that six point one six point one million dollar cap hit that Nate McKinnon has on their books for two more years, Scott. That is going to be a significant increase when they get that expansion done. So for Joe Sackett to get something in return, hey, kudos to him. I'm I'm very impressed with what he was able to get back for an asset that he thought could gain him the most back and not lose him for nothing. And just before we delve further into what could happen, what teams are talking about right now, because there are good clips coming out about what Calgary is facing right now and how that decision-making process is going, what Vancouver is doing. Elliot Friedman saying earlier today he expects Vancouver to be very active in the next 24 hours or so. What that means, to what extent, we'll wait and see, but buckle your seatbelts. It could be fun. Here's a quick expansion timeline guide for this weekend. Forget Mm -hmm. about the draft itself next Wednesday. We can get into that if you want. But as of tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern, there's a roster freeze. You can't sign standard player contracts after that. So any business you want to do, it's got to be done by 3 o'clock Eastern tomorrow. 5 o'clock Eastern, your list goes to the National Hockey League into Seattle. Here's our protection list, and here's who is available. And then at 10 o'clock Eastern on Sunday, so it's quite early on the West Coast, 7 a.m. on Sunday morning, 8 8 o'clock Mountain Time on Sunday morning, those protection lists are going to be distributed to the rest of the NHL teams. Here's what other teams left unprotected. And they're likely going to be made public either at that time or at some point over the course of Sunday. So, yes, NHL fans, you're going to get a view of what your team did, what other teams did. Maybe there's some eye-popping names in there. We'll see. It's going to be an interesting 24 hours, or I guess we're counting down. Yeah, 26 hours, Scott, in this set. 27 hours, if my math is right. Hey, Vancouver and Calgary have a lot of questions that they need to answer. And there's been some names floated around. Uh, Reports were that Vancouver was very interested in the Ryan Graves deal, wanted to see if they could get something done there. Things out of Calgary have been pretty quiet, actually, when you think about not really too many rumors are getting out there. Elliot Freeman on 960 this morning saying that Brad Treliving was being a fortress right now, not really wanting to show his hand. We know they have a lot of work to do. Obviously, the pressing thing with Vancouver is Mark Giordano. 
Giordano and what gets done. Do they let him go to Seattle for nothing? Do they try and give something? But again, if the ask is a first and a third for protection help, I have to think for Calgary, that's a little rich for your just to keep a 38-year-old captain for one more year. So uh, lots of work to be done. But Scott, there was the one name that came out yesterday that had both Calgary and Vancouver mentioned in it. Yeah, and that was Zach Hyman, who we will get to in a second. Based on what you're saying, let's hear from Elliot Friedman. Let's just put this first and a third in proper context. It doesn't sound like that's a hard and fast price, but you can hear it from Elliot himself. Jeff Merrick threw that out there on the podcast. Here's what Elliot Friedman had to say about Mark Giordano. A little bit surprising that Calgary remains undecided on what to do protection list-wise. Have a listen. I think that Giordano knows he could be unprotected, but I think I think that Calgary has said to him that it's possible, but until we know, we're not committing one way or the other. I, as has been reported, I think the Flames have approached Seattle about what would it take for good uh, for Giordano not to be taken. The rumor has been that the prices have been very high. Jeff on the podcast said this morning that he heard that uh, Seattle was asking teams for a first and a third not to take people. I hadn't heard that as of yesterday, but after Jeff said it, I made a couple of calls. And, you know, nobody would say 100%, but they, they said that Jeff wasn't insane by suggesting that. Because I think Merrick is insane about a lot of things. I going to say, yeah. Huh. But on that one, nobody said, you know, he's nuts. So, it's, you know, I think it's probably in and around that area, at least for now. So that lets you know what, you know, the Flames are dealing with. If they, the idea of what the Flames are dealing with, if they want to avoid, uh, want to make a side deal for your captain. And Sportsnet's Eric Francis said last Friday on Sportsnet 960, Scott, in the afternoon, he said, like, Brad Trillman's been speaking to Ron Francis for months now on trying to figure out, you know, kind of what he's thinking about, what he would do, what it would take for either to, you know, if he's going to take Giordano, what else he could be looking at, or, you know, what the ass is going to be. So I'm not surprised to hear this, but as I pointed out before, I mean, just don't you think a first and a third is a little rich when it comes to just protecting Mark Giordano for one more season? Well, that's your initial ask, but what does the price go down to? We all have asks. You go into any type of contract negotiation, you go into any type of deal, you go in trying to get your best deal. What does the real price look like? And that's what's trying to be determined. Is Ron Francis sticking to that? Is he not? And here's what he's considering. And this is why Brad Living is trying to play a little bit of poker here. We know who Calgary should protect on the back end. But if Mark Giordano is going to be selected and Mark Giordano can be turned into other assets for Seattle as well, is there the possibility of moving Mark Giordano here in the next 24 hours? Does that exist? Would other teams get out ahead? Depends where their expansion protection lists are right now. Do they have protection issues? Don't they? We just saw New Jersey because it had available protection list slots say, we're in on Ryan Graves. A lot of teams couldn't get in on that conversation. Because if they bring in Ryan Graves, that means they leave somebody else exposed and they're right back where they started and they gave up extra assets to expose a player they actually wanted to keep. It's a limited field, but guaranteed some of the other general managers who are talking to Ron Francis are saying, look, if you end up getting Mark Giordano, 
we'd be willing to trade for Mark Giordano. So does Brad for Living try to circumvent that right now? Do those teams have protection issues and it won't work in advance? This is the game of chicken that's being played right now, and a lot of this comes down to what is the real price? Like, what's the actual price? First and a third, okay, we're getting down to brass tacks now. We're just over 24 hours away from this happen to happen. What, what do you really need? What do you really need to make this happen? <laughs> and is Brad Trilliving willing to pay that? Yeah, posturing, posturing on both sides. Hey, it, it makes, like, Ron Francis asking for the moon makes sense. It, uh, Vegas got two first-round picks when they were making side deals prior to them having their expansion draft. They got one from the Islanders, and they got one from Columbus. I mean, you're probably going to think that some teams would pony that up, but when it comes to Mark Giordano, that's likely not going to happen if you're Calgary. You've got the 13th pick overall, at least in this year's draft. If you go further down the road, I don't know what Francis is asking in terms of is it this year or next year down the road, but still. Hey, it's one of those things where... <laughs> yeah, it's you you talked about Scott a house last year, right? Like or yesterday, like talking about like I buy a house and you know things change, but the price has been up, like or it goes down, like I should have paid that lower price. Well it's not gonna happen. But you know, the closer you do get to the deadline, the more maybe Ron Francis is willing to uh, negotiate with Brad to a living. And he's got till 12 o'clock East, uh, 12 o'clock Pacific time, one o'clock Mountain time tomorrow. So we'll see if that can happen. But if you're Brad to a living, you have to understand that probably Mark Giordano is the guy that they're going to go after if you do put a different protection list in. And again, you're not you're just not going to protect them. So what can you get for this asset or do you lose him for anything? But I don't think you want to give up too much assets to Seattle just to not take him. Treliving was one of the most, if not the most, active general managers when free agency opened last fall. And we know he went out and got Markstrom and Tanev on day number one, and they were big splash signings. Zach Hyman is one of the buzz players right now in the National Hockey League. And yes, as you alluded to earlier, Karen, there is interest in Western Canada. It sounds like all three teams that call BC and Alberta home have called about Zach Hyman, and they should all be interested. Everybody wants a player like Zach Hyman on the roster. Does that mean you need Zach Hyman on your roster? Because what's that going to cost you? Where is your line on the sand? Well, you do, Karen, at a certain price. And this comes down to line oh, on a sand. Yes. You, you, you would say, sure, if it's four by four, hey, I'll take Zach Hyman at four years, $4 million. Maybe you're willing to go to five. Maybe on a shorter term like four years, you're even willing to up the AAV. But this is what Benning Treliving, Holland need to be asking themselves right now how long and how much the numbers that are being floated out there are pretty rich and I understand why there is sticker shock right now from fan bases around the National Hockey League yeah, the numbers being floated around when I say, oh, and you heard me like kind of sigh in that, Scott, it's because the numbers that are being rumored are 6x6 six six or 7x6, six, and apparently out of Toronto, you know, there was they were maybe willing to go the eight years just to stretch out the AAV, but things were not even close for what uh, Zach Hyman thought he could get on the open market, so he's testing that right now. But, I mean, if it's 6x6 six six or 7x6, six, if I'm Edmonton, Vancouver, or Calgary, I am staying as far away from that contract as possible. Yeah, maybe four-year deal max I would give a Zach Hyman to 2016 not show anybody what could happen with a player that's a you know more of a power forward shall we say in the NHL and you're signing him at the age of 29 no I don't think so anything six years I am going far away from that even if the term even if the AAV is low like for me that's too rich four years max then then we can talk how much does Seattle set the market this weekend it's a question I don't have an answer for and we'll find out with our first guest of the day how much he has an answer for it. 
Kurt Overhard, one of the power brokers in the NHL, is going to join us at the bottom of this hour. It's such a unique situation. I'm very curious to hear what he has to say, his approach. Obviously, he's got clients across the spectrum, some who will be UFAs this summer that can talk to Seattle as soon as this weekend, some that are going to be left unprotected. Now you're talking to your player on a far different front. Maybe players who want a change of scenery. What does Seattle represent to them? I'm really interested to hear from Kurt Overhart at the bottom of the hour. There are a lot of names out there. And somebody I remember yesterday texted in after we told you about the athletic piece. And they had graded 25 players who could be moved this offseason. Some very likely, some unlikely. Brock Besser was listed as unlikely, low chance that it happens. But there was the quote that was attached. I read it and someone texted in. Why do you want to anger Canucks fans? Why do you choose violence on this day? Hey, man, I'm just reporting what is out there right now. So I read the quote, and it was, hey, his name's out there. He's available. Elliot Friedman weighed in on that on the 31 Thoughts podcast, and I thought he gave a very reasonable explanation as to how Besser's name even made it into trade circles. Have a listen. The other thing about Vancouver I, I wanted to mention where there were some Brock Besser rumblings yeah. on Thursday – this is what I think was going on with Brock Besser. I do think his name came up, but I don't think it's because Vancouver's got him on the market. I really think that it was Vancouver going after something they really wanted or needed, and Besser's name came up as the price that it was going to cost them. And I really believe that if Besser was getting moved this year, it was purely because of a deal where Vancouver got something and we would say, oh, okay, now we kind of understand why this happened. Mm -hmm. I don't think his name is being thrown out there. I think it was specific to a certain kind of trade. So I don't think it's a general Bessers available. It is funny, though, how every offseason somehow Brock Besser's name uh, tends to come up, whether it's from other teams or whether it's speculation from within the market that Vancouver is willing to listen or talking about him, willing to trade him. But it makes sense. Like, Jim Benning, if you were going to upgrade your team and Brock Besser is, or it's a need that you have on your roster, say a top four defenseman, and Brock Besser is the asking price, yeah, you go back and you think about it, but it's not like, I understand the not shopping him because if you're not upgrading your team, he's part of your future. But I understand why you have to listen on this player. If you call Team X and say, hey, we want that player, who happens to be attractive? What's Team X going to say? Cool, we want Besser back in the package. That's how these things happen. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. that you're floating the player. It means there's an ask. It means the, well, we'll consider it because Brock Besser exists in this place where he's an important part of the Vancouver Canucks, but he's not viewed as untouchable. Mm -hmm. And so just like Ron Francis is asking for a first and a third, reportedly, to stay away from certain players on rosters where there are protection issues. You're going to shoot your shot if you're an acquiring team. That doesn't mean that call is going to be heated, and that seems to be where it exists with Brock Besser right now. I want to get some feedback going here, and we can get into it throughout the course of the show, Karen. There are potential moves for the Western Canadian teams. And maybe you don't even cheer for one. Maybe you cheer for another team, but that's fine. Let's work a lot of teams in there because as Elliot Freeman has said, there are a lot of balls in the air. He expects this to be a busy day. He expects Vancouver to be among the teams that are active. What is the one move you want your team to make in the next 24 hours? And that's a wide open question. If there's a player on your roster you want to see moved for assets, if there's a player you want to see protected, we mentioned Mark Giordano. If 
Flames fan today, your answer is find a way to keep Mark Giordano. Like that can be answer, or you can be comfortable with the fact that he's going to move. If there's a name out there with a team that does have protection issues, like the Tampa Bay Lightning, is there a player you want to acquire? What is the one move you want your team to make in the next 24 hours? You can text us at 650-650 or 960-960. I mean, Scott, I don't know about you, but the first thing that came to mind is just something I just said. Don't sign a power forward that's 29 years old to a 6x6 six six term. If I'm if I'm either the Canucks or Calgary, I'm saying that's the first thing that I want to, want to have happen. Something to not happen in the next 24 hours is a Zach Hyman 6x6. Six six. That's exactly what I'm thinking. I don't know about you, but I mean, I guess if you're spitballing here when you want Jim Benning to do find a way to trade Nate Smith for another top four defenseman is that something to ask for what are you going to recoup from Nate Schmidt but to get something from a player that obviously is not working out maybe that's something that you figure out Calgary is it the fact that you want to try and keep Mark Giordano text 960-960-650-650 because I mean really do you want to give up assets to keep a player I understand he's your captain I understand that he has been the MVP of your team in certain seasons previous and you don't want to lose him for nothing but really is it worth the assets to keep him because I mean is it I, I just don't know at this point. I mean, he's 38 years old. He's got a lot of, maybe a couple more good years left. But on this team right now, is it worth it to give away a pick, something else, just to have him on your team? So I don't know what the answer is, Scott. I don't know if you have some answers on this. But I guess for me, it is a Nate Schmidt deal with Vancouver and trying to figure out if the ask is too much for Mark Giordano. Yeah, and I'm not sure the Nate Giordano the Nate Schmidt deal needs to occur in the next 24 hours. It feels like that one's got more breathing room and is more likely to occur on an extended timeline, Karen. I don't know if it needs to happen before the draft next Friday. Like Things are going to happen really quickly here. Where does this happen for Vancouver? In Calgary, that would seem to be your biggest decision, and I'm interested to hear what Flames fans have to say. You comfortable with Mark Giordano going to market? Are you not? Do you need to cut a side deal? I'll give you an example of some of the samplings we have, and we'll get into a lot of your texts and your tweets. You can find me at Scott Rintoul on Twitter, at Karen underscore Sermon. That's Karen with an E underscore Sermon with a U and an A. Trade a sixth rounder to the Kraken in exchange for them selecting Holtby. Now, that is a much more feasible price for a Vancouver Canucks fan. If you're a Kraken fan, maybe not so much. We're going to get to Holtby later in the show. There is more interest, apparently. There are a lot of people in the know. There is a lot more interest in Braden Holtby than I suspected there mm -hmm. would be on the market. It doesn't just involve Seattle. And what it would seem to come down to right now is salary retention. And that's why the extended interest is important here. Well, a sixth rounder in 26, sorry, 2017, Scott, Buffalo traded to Vegas, so they didn't take Linus Allmark, so that was didn't take a player. Robin Lehner was protected, ended up being William, William Carrier. That's what a sixth rounder got you in 2017. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury to take him, of course, a little bit different situation. Marc-Andre Fleury was willing to go to Vegas. Uh, it was a 2022nd round pick that got Marc-Andre Fleury from Vegas. So I have to suggest that maybe a sixth round might be a little bit on the cheaper side for Braden Holtby because if Vancouver really wants to get that cap uh, money off the books... Uh, Ron Francis might hold a little bit more to uh, Jim Benning, but just to throw it out there, that's what a six and a goalie to take him took it back in 2017. How is this climate different from what happened the last time around? Let's ask somebody who's on the inside. He is Kurt Overhard, one of the power-broking agents in the National Hockey League, and he joins us next on Rintoul and Sermon. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. 
A lot of texts coming in. I'm not surprised by this. What's the one thing? What is the one move you want your team to make in the next 24 hours when it comes to the National Hockey League and the specter of having to put a protection list together for noon Pacific time, 1 o'clock Mountain time tomorrow? You can text us at 650-650-960-960. It's Rintoul and Sermon. In a few minutes, we're going to be joined by one of the longtime agents and a guy who's had a very extensive client list. Kurt Overhart is going to join mm-hmm. us. It'll be interesting to get his perspective on what happens this weekend, how it differs from Vegas in 2017, and, and how he deals with his clients that are in a number of different situations coming up this summer. Uh, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how the free agent market is. I do want to ask Kurt because when we had – um, Scott, his name um, is, is blanking. Uh, the previous agent on a couple of uh, weeks ago, Bane, Bane Pettinger. Pettinger. Yes, Bane Pettinger. And he had mentioned that to, from his clients and what he was hearing around the league, like Seattle's a destination. And I want to know, like, is that the same thing he's hearing from his clients, that they're okay to go there? Is it because of what happened in Vegas five years ago? Is it because of what Seattle can bring in, uh, you know, with the franchise and how it's being run so far, the city itself, the Pacific Northwest. Like, I want to hear if for his clients and some of his clients that they're willing. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking to go there either as a UFA or if a trade does happen. We've got a couple of these trade coming in. Scott, when it talk, we were talking about uh, Brock Besser and Nate Schmidt earlier, and two texts that came in to 650-650 said Besser, Schmidt, and a second for Kaprizov and Dumba. Another one said Kaprizov and Susie. Two Minnesota guys going back home, and we get our Russian mentor to play with Paul Colson. I would suggest to you, and I don't know if I'm way off on this, but I would suggest that with the moves that Bill Guerin did, he is not trading Kirill Kaprizov. He's untouchable. Yes. He is untouchable on that roster, and the only thing that would change that if there was a shot across the bow from Kaprizov's camp that he was unwilling to sign. I don't care what number you put in front of me, I won't sign. He's a restricted free agent. They're going to figure something out. That player, untouchable right now. If you want Kaprizov, you would have to include either Elias Pettersson or Quinn Hughes. That's the level we're talking about. Brock Besser plus doesn't get it done. No, it doesn't. And, you know, the Minnesota kid going back home, I understand that. He was been – when Matt Dumba last year, his name was being thrown out there as a possible – do they trade him? Does he want out? Does a Brock Besser fetch you a Matt Dumba in that? I, I completely agree with that uh, conversation because it's always about the guy going home, right? Guy going back to Minnesota. That's where he lives in the offseason. But, yeah, you buy out – Zach Parise and Ryan Suter, and you want to try and change this culture, and you have a kid that's on the way to, he's a star in the league already, on the way to being even maybe more than that. Yeah, I think you're keeping him in Minnesota. Most of the sentiment coming out of Calgary this morning, it's early, but this is what we've gotten mostly so far. Don't give up any assets yep. to keep Giordano. We need a number one center, says this Flames fan. Rick goes a little further. First, do not give up anything to retain Giordano for any reason. Second, being that the NHL is a copycat league, would it be a shock? A team that just fit, went to the finals to a star that, to a team that had a star player miss a whole month return for the playoffs while using his cap space to further enrich their team for the regular season, and also the playoffs once the star player returned, might consider trying the same path with Weber. That came up a lot yesterday. Yeah. I am on the same page as Friedman and Merrick and many others within this game. You got to look at the player involved here. If you know anything about Shea Weber, does he strike you as the type of player who would be a part of such a plan? He doesn't strike me as, as such a player. He really doesn't. 
No, he doesn't. And there were the reports out today, I believe, that said that his thumb injury is was season-ending, and he played through all of that. So if he could play, he would play. Rick finishes that up by saying, what are the chances Montreal can convince Suter to come play at a reduced rate to potentially pair up with Weber again for a playoff run? Hmm. That presupposes number two happens. Elliot Friedman is among those that has reported Ryan Suter coming to Canada. Not going to happen. Let's head to one of the agents in the know in the National Hockey League. It has been for a very long time. He is Kurt Overhart, who joins us this morning on Rintoul and Sermon. Kurt, thank you very much for doing this. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. How are you guys doing? We are well, and thank you very much for asking. Let's talk about what everyone's talking about this evening franchise the expansion draft protection list from an agent's point of view in this case yours what does the expansion franchise in seattle represent oh well, i mean obviously from a player standpoint it, it represents uh opportunity right 23 more jobs at the national hockey league level um you know 50 potentially 50 more jobs in the organization between the american league and the nhl so it's a huge opportunity and the other thing is is as a result of another team coming in the league, you know, every other team is going to be diluted because they're going to lose at least one player. So it's a, it's a, it's a big time for players, just much like it was when Vegas came in the league a couple of years ago. Mentioned Vegas, and that's the basis with which we're dealing with right now when we speculate about Seattle. How is this climate different from the one that you and your clients were dealing with in 2017 with the Vegas expansion draft? I mean, as a well-known general manager who I will not source said to me several months ago, um, NHL teams uh, supposedly learned their lesson. Uh, a lot of them got fleeced uh, because Vegas did such a good job uh, and were able to do, you know, do so many deals and side deals. And, they, you know, they got so many assets, not only players, you know, but they got a lot of draft picks. So I think it's going to, I think Ron Francis and his staff who, Obviously, outstanding group of people, an outstanding group of hockey people. You know, I think their job is going to be a lot more challenging based on what Vegas did. Kurt, we had a fellow agent in Bain Pettinger on uh, about a month ago, and he, we were discussing with him, like, what do his clients see in Seattle? And they say they see it as a destination city, and some were potential UFAs that may want to go there, or even if it's uh, some sort of trade just to go to Seattle. How do Have you talked to your clients about how they do see the Seattle, and do you think it as a destination, is that because of what Vegas was able to achieve earlier, or is it, do you think it's more about Seattle, the city, and the franchise that they've started to build there? No, great question. Well, I mean, listen, we, we all have different, you know, we all have different values. We all have different interests and likes. So, you know, some guys are very attracted to uh, Seattle because of the new opportunities. Some are very attracted because it's the Northwest. I mean, you know, you guys live in one of the most beautiful parts of the world um, in Vancouver. And, you know, Seattle's a little bit of an extension of that, although I don't think it's as nice as the city of Vancouver, and I mean that. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of that, okay? And then the other thing is the quality of the people who are building the organization. It's a fresh start for a lot of people, not to mention that it's also a tax venue. You know, there's no state taxes in, in Washington. So I think all those mm -hmm. things, you know, one or, or all of them can play a, a decision in, in people's uh, minds. Kurt, how much of a heads up do you or your clients get from teams when it comes to being protected or not being protected on the expansion draft? Uh, I, you know what? It's very similar to the entry draft. I was just having this conversation with one of my partners. You know, with the entry draft, most teams aren't very overt on, on what they're going to do 
as far as picking your clients or players. And you know what? That's their prerogative. They work all year to figure that out. It's been similar. I think it's been kind of a split mixed bag. Some clubs have said, yeah, you know what? We are, we're going to protect this guy, this guy, this guy, you know, and we still have some outstanding players, you know, that we're not sure whether or not they'll be protected or not. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't think the Seattle knows that either. So that kind of makes it fun. You know, I think that's good. Mm -hmm. I mean, media in the summertime, in sports is great. I, I think this is wonderful. Like it's, it's got to be interesting in Vancouver just to wonder what's going on there. So I think it's good for the game. Interesting in Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, you name the city, there is interest. You're absolutely right, and this has been a fun week from that standpoint. I'm not sure if all the players agree. Kurt Overhart, the CEO and founder of KO Sports, NHL player agent, joining us today on Rintoul and Sermon. There are players, you can do math, we can all do the math, we can look at the list. There are players who look like possible expansion draft targets. Some of those might be your clients. Do you ever work with teams to see if you can help facilitate a trade to the best situation possible before an expansion draft selection might happen? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, That's part of what, uh, you know, I think a good agent does. And, you know, whether it's related to expansion draft or it's related to any other time in, in a player's career, but that's important to having relationships with clubs. So um, it, that's a really important facet, and communication is key. So you mentioned earlier that you've got players all over the spectrum as to whether they might be UFAs and see this as an opportunity. You've got other players who might be left unprotected. And as you said, everybody has different values. Some people like security. Some people are willing to leave some of it to chance. How much have you been a strategist over the past couple of weeks, and how much have you been a counselor? for some of your clients? Well, we're planners and we're professional about how we plan. So we've, we've stayed ahead of this for months, if not years, you know, cause this it's, it's a, you know, it, even if a player doesn't get taken um, and he stays with his club, you know, if his position was taken, it, it just creates more opportunity on that team. If, if, if you have guys that have been, you know, um, basically an eight defenseman or a nine defenseman, you know, right on the fringe of being in the league, um, those kind of guys are going to get a lot more opportunity with the 32 teams now. So it really impacts everybody. It's, it's, a, it's a very positive thing from a player standpoint. We saw last year with the flat cap and the kind of quick off-season, Kurt, the fact that like some players had to wait a little bit longer and probably, obvi- well, obviously didn't get the contracts that they thought they would get in free agency. Um, how have you talked to your clients about the fact and advised them going forward with the, it is another flat cap uh, this off-season, how that could affect their futures? Well... Listen, this is a problem with our sport. I mean, every other sport is, I mean, notwithstanding COVID, okay? It's a lot of empathy Mm -hmm. with respect to everything encompassed with COVID. But, you know, every other sport or team sport in North America, uh, the economics are going up. Um, It's a big issue. It's a big issue for your club there. As you know, it's a big issue for the, the, I I actually, our our home base is in Colorado. It's where I spend most Mm -hmm. of my time, but I'm from Michigan a big issue having a flat cap and you know from what i'm told uh by by league officials i think we should expect to have a flat cap for the next couple of years and uh and i'm an optimist but it's a it's a really big problem and it's gonna you know it, it's gonna affect the value of um and the one it's gonna affect the ability of general managers to build their team two from a player standpoint unfortunately and, and I'm, I'm a you guys know i'm a very big player advocate uh 
but it's going to impact the value of, of, of the dollar amounts that players are going to be able to command. Um, you can't just, you know, you can't just create, you know, consideration or cash out of water. We have a four cap system that, that I think personally is draconian in my opinion. Um, and I think I'm hoping at some point in the next couple of years, the players can, can work and, and work together and, and create a system that there's a lot more economic parity. Uh, the league has created game parity. Uh, I think it would be a lot more fun if the Vancouver Canucks could build their team based on the young talent that you have and, and uh, the general manager and the owner could go out and add assets so you could actually have a team that's not good for two years or a challenger for one or two years but could challenge for five to ten years. And, you know, we're not seeing that anymore. And I, I really think it's hurt the value and the quality, you know, of, of, of what we're selling as a sport. We applauded the NHL and the players for coming to an agreement to extend labor peace last year when there were such challenging times. But from an agent point of view and as a player advocate, are you surprised that there were not more flexible tools worked into the upcoming CBA, even if it's going to be around a, a hard cap, in order to give teams the ability to do different things and move money around? Well, listen... Um, it's, it's not my job, right? I mean, the Players Association speaks for the players. The Players Association is supposed to represent the players' best interest in the league. I mean, Gary and his people, his, his lawyers with Proskauer, they've done such a good job since uh, 2004 creating this cap system. Um, so any, any information I would say to you is completely my opinion. It's also based on conversations that I've had with my clients, Okay. But yeah, I mean, I, to be frank with you, this our, our system's broken, okay? And uh, if, if we need to make some, in my opinion, we need to make adjustments to this system, whether it's in the form of a having an exception player that doesn't apply to the cap. We, we published an article on that. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to read it. I would encourage you mm -hmm. uh, to read it. But yeah, we we need to have some type of liquid in the system. We have none right now. We've got great franchises. I mean, whether it's the Canucks or the Blackhawks or the Predators or Tampa Bay or the Rangers and you know creating media out of business opportunities like the NBA has done it's one of the most interesting things about that league we don't really have that we have it now because we're an expansion right it's a it's a one-time thing with Seattle but um, you know having a team being able to mark one player and exclude that player from from the upper limit from the cap and allow 22 the, the 22 remaining players to have to deal with that pot uh, I think this is compelling, but you know, there's other ways to do it. There's luxury tax ways to do it. You know, different sports have different mechanisms. And, um, you know, I, in, in my opinion, you know, we, we're going to, in the next couple of years, I think one of our challenges is that we really need to work to get in that direction or, or otherwise we're going to continue to fall behind. I agree with you. Kurt Overhart joining us here on Rintoul and Sermon. Change of scenery. We hear it all the time in the National Hockey League. There's a lot of players you probably know a lot more on the list than I do that want to change the scenery. Sometimes that gets to be public, Kurt. How do you determine as an agent whether that should be done behind closed doors or whether public pressure is necessary to facilitate a move? And you know, usually, great question. Usually it's, usually it's done quietly, you know, and, and that's that's the way to do it, I think, with integrity. Um, but, you know, sometimes there's, there's, sometimes it becomes acrimonious, and unfortunately uh, that acrimonious, acrimony leads to either side or both sides, you know, taking their case to, 
to the media and to the public. Um, as an agent, I, I, you know, I, I don't think as an agent you ever really want anything to be public or it should be public unless it's to the advantage of your client, and it's as simple as that. Kurt, I wanted to ask you about a couple of your players, but specifically one, and that's the goaltender Mike Smith uh, in Edmonton. He's a free agent. He's been there a couple of years and had a very good season last year for the Edmonton Oilers. Obviously, negotiations happening right now. It looks like he wants to be back. Edmonton wants to be back. Is How has Mike Smith enjoyed his time playing with that team, and what does he see possibly going forward? Well... Um... <laughs> As you know, Mike's an athlete, right? He's an amazing athlete. And I, you know, we all, in, in our society, obviously we have birthdays, so we're, we're, we're gauged by our <laughs> age. But, you know, Mike might be 39 years old, but if you spend time with him or you see him off the ice, you know, he, he looks like he's like 30 years old. Um, but, you know, Smitty, he, I think he, he really enjoyed this year uh, playing with that club and his teammates. I think he really enjoyed the relationships that he uh, created with with the other guys on the team. Uh, he obviously has a lot of respect for Coach Tippett because, you know, he played for Dave uh, in, in Arizona. And, um, you know, with, with Ken Holland running the team and, you know, being as uh, professional and, you know, Ken's a very personal guy too. I mean, I think they've got a good thing going there. And I think Mike's really happy as far as where it could go. So, you know, it's our hope. And we've had, you know, public information, publicly you know we continue to have conversations with with the oilers um uh, and i think it would be a positive if mike had the opportunity to go back there i'm sure he would and i'm sure he'd like to get as much term as possible it has certainly worked out well for them so far as media as fans of the game we've been anticipating an extremely busy off season and this week may show us that's going to go there as an agent do you anticipate the exact same thing yeah, it's going to, I mean, the fireworks, well, we have a trade freeze as of tomorrow uh, because of the expansion draft. The lists are submitted on, uh, on, on Sunday, and then, and then the fireworks kind of begin. So uh, it's going to be, I think it's just going to be a lot of fun. We're, you know, we're ready for it. We have a couple guys that, that might be in play, you know, and, you know, I, we don't know whether they'll be in play or not with, with Seattle, whether or not they'll be protected. Those are some of the ones that the clubs haven't really identified. They're playing poker with us, but um mm-hmm. It's going to be fun, and, and like I said, it's it's good media for the league, isn't it? I mean, it gives us all something to talk about. It gives fans something, something to gauge, and I think it's good for the National Hockey League. I agree with you wholeheartedly. In fact, one of your clients already got moved. That's Victor Arvidsson, who wound up in L.A. How closely were you working with the National Predators and potential acquiring teams, in this case L.A., to get that deal done? Uh, frankly, um, I mean, that happened. That was a pretty seamless deal. I think um, I think the Kings have had some interest in, in Victor for quite some time to, you know, to play on the top line. And, um, you know, based on what, what's going on in Nashville, I think it was a, a really good opportunity for, for Victor to be moved. And, you know, David Poyle and the Predators were, were gracious about it. So, you know, that was one of those that wasn't acrimonious at all. And, it, you know, no one put their fist down saying, I have to be traded, but it was organic, but I think it's a really, it's a good move for my client. And, you know, it's going to be really fun to see Victor play on that top line in LA too. And it would be good for the Kings. A lot of people love playing in Nashville, but the same can be said about LA. The bright lights and the beaches are something that most people don't shy away from. You know that Kurt. Hey, thank you very much for doing this today. I imagine it's going to be a busy weekend and a busy next couple of weeks. 
Thanks for taking some time to chat with us today and shed some light on what it's like from your point of view. Thank you both, okay? And Thanks, good luck Kurt. through all this. Okay, take care. <laughs> that is Kurt Overhart. He is the CEO and the founder of KO Sports, longtime agent. And you mentioned Mike Smith, who he has under his control. Under his umbrella, I shouldn't mm-hmm. say under his control. Victor Arvidsson yeah. is one of his clients as well, as I mentioned. Ryan Johansson is a guy that falls into that category of likely unprotected, maybe on the move. I doubt Seattle takes the player off of Nashville's book because of the length of the contract. If he's out there, is there a swap to be made in terms of change of scenery and moving one contract with a player who's not doing well for another contract of a player who's not doing particularly well and needs that change of scenery? He's got a lot of different situations. Andrew Kopp is another one of his clients, and there's a player who is likely uh, going to be protected by the Winnipeg Jets yet mm-hmm. doesn't have a contract in place for next season. And you've got Matias Ekholm, who... At one point, we thought was the biggest one of the biggest defensive trade chips before the trade deadline for Nashville, Scott. Now they're talking about the fact that they're going to probably look at signing him to a longer-term deal to keep him here. So Kurt Overhart and his uh, team definitely have a couple of busy weeks and months coming up. One thing he did say, and he talked about the CBA and the luxury tax and different things that could happen. Wouldn't you love the NHL to have an amnesty buyout? Like one per team. Wouldn't that be incredible to just have? I mean, some teams may like it. Some teams may not because it's going to help some teams out and not others. But I like I, I honestly think I've always thought that would make it so much more fun if you could have some sort of amnesty buyout like the NBA did. Like think of that Gilbert, Gilbert Arenas deal that Washington Wizards at the time got off their books because of injury and whatever the, the other uh, issues were around there. But just to get some sort of contract you don't like. Oh, I would love it. I'm fine with it, but I'm also fine with finding loopholes like Tampa Bay did this year, and it's turned a lot of fans off. And let's be clear about why the NHL does not have something like an amnesty bio, why there are no more tools, why there aren't more tools available to general managers to get out from bad contracts. It has everything to do with parity. This is a league that wants to have the most parity. You see it in the rules of the game. You see it in the way that points are awarded between overtime losses, regulation wins, all of those different types of things. And this is why you've got a hard cap. And this is why you have fewer tools available to you in this league than other leagues. It has everything to do with parity. And this is what I cautioned against with those who were disgruntled with what Tampa Bay did. I don't even need to go down this road again, but for those who think like Nikita Kucherov was fine putting his feet up and sipping margaritas for a few months, the guy had surgery. Yeah, he could have played sooner. They used the loophole to make their team better. We want player movement as fans. We really do. We love this week. We love seeing surprising moves. We love seeing buyouts. We love seeing all of that sort of thing as fans. You want to close down more loopholes? You're going to get less player movement because if you retroactively do that with Nikita Kucherov, guess what? Now you got less Tampa Bay activity at the trade deadline. And maybe you got Montreal less trade activity. You know what we like? Trade activity, Karen. So, yes, I'm in favor of more tools available so things get even more creative. I'm absolutely on board with that. Yeah, it's just, uh, I was thinking about it as he was talking. I'm like, yes, this would make it more fun if we could have that ability to uh, to have one amnesty bot. I don't even know if it's per year, per two years, whatever the case may be. Gary Bettman's never going to put that in. It's not going to be negotiated into the into the CBA. I completely understand that because he likes the way that the league is right now, but it would be a fun little tool for team staff, Scott. Uh, yeah, it would be fun. 
lot of people responding so far. We put the question out there, and we'll do so again right now. We'll get into some of your answers next. What is the one move that you want your team to make in the next 24 hours? Hit us up at 960-960 or 650-650. You've got it with Rintoul and Sermon. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. For those wondering, it's Greg in charge of the tunes today. He's got the full five this week. So if you have a request on a feel-good Friday, you can get those requests into Greg via 960-960 or 650-650. We asked you earlier, and we'll continue to. What do you want to happen in the next 24 hours with your team? Like, what's the one move you want your team to make? Hey, make this decision on the protection list and stick with it. Move this player or acquire said player. You know, Vancouver and Calgary... Those are the teams we focus on the most, and certainly on a day mm-hmm. like this in the next couple of weeks, it will be a much broader conversation because there are so many teams in play here. But Vancouver and Calgary find themselves in much different situations. One has a protection issue, one does not. One is a really important decision to make on its captain. The other, not so much. In fact, Vancouver is an acquiring team right now. We have players that we will protect, but we'd rather have a better player to protect than what we currently yeah. have available. The Canucks believe they have a seat at those tables. You know, one of those tables was the Colorado Avalanche. And apparently Vancouver yep. was sitting at it, wasn't able to make the same type of offer or willing to make the same type of offer that New Jersey did. So Ryan Graves heads east, and Colorado gets out from one of its protection issues. But there are other teams. And I had somebody text me on, or pardon me, tweet me, at Scott Rintoul on Twitter, at Karen underscore Sermon, Karen with an E, Sermon with a U and an A, say Jake Bean. Go get Jake Bean out of Carolina. Mm -hmm. They've got protection issues. Yep. They've got a surplus on the back end. Go get that player. Do you have a creative suggestion out there if you're in our listenership that you want done in the next 24 hours? I've seen a lot of people also, too, go out there and say, one, well, this one just came in from Josh and Duncan. Bring Jared McCann home, being left unprotected. Perfect third line C. Yes, did you see this, Scott? Rob Rossi out of... uh, Pittsburgh just tweeted out the what their expected protection list is going to be based on what he've heard. And there are Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, Rust, Kapanen, Bluger, and Tanev. That leaves Jared McCann out there. That's an interesting conversation because it come full circle, Scott, bringing Jared McCann back to Vancouver. Uh, this one comes in. <laughs> Canucks make a move for Landeskog. Hashtag. Hashtag pipe dream. Yes, that's a pipe dream. I don't think that's going to happen. And please, like, let's not put that in the mind of the general manager because last year we saw what happened that got in kind of the mind of the general manager and it was one-way thinking with a certain defenseman and maybe that allowed him to kind of put the blinders on in terms of what other deals he had to get done with his team. We've heard about that before. And also sign Kirill Kaprizov long-term. Marcus and Gibsons. It's not going to happen, folks. Bill Guerin's not... I don't see a scenario where Bill Guerin is going to give away... Kirill Kaprizov. He literally just bought out two guys that are going to affect him later down the road so he could get this deal signed to this kid long-term on the money that he wants. And I believe he's a 10.2 free agent, if I'm not mistaken, so you can't so offer So no sheet. offer sheet. No. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, any of our listeners. I'm sure some will be more up, but I don't believe Kaprizov is eligible for an offer oh, sheet. Look. The Pittsburgh situation is interesting. And I, I will say this about Landis Cog just before we get there. If you are going to overpay for one of these two free agents, Gabriel Landis Cog or Zach Hyman, it's Landis Cog. Yes. I'm not suggesting you overpay for either of them, depending on what cap situation you're talking about. But if you're going to pay overpay for one of those, it's Landis Cog here. Zach Hyman is the cautionary tale. I hope for Zach Hyman. I really do. I really hope for Zach Hyman that this works out. I really hope it works out for him. 
I don't want to see any player sign a big deal and then get injured a couple years in. But this is a risk with a player who really, not by his own fault, got hurt last year. That was Alex Edler sticking out a knee, got suspended two games mm-hmm. for it. But Zach Hyman plays the style of game that should cause some trepidation about what his availability is going to look like over the length of his contract if it's anywhere in the range of what is rumored six or seven years. Could you also, too, Scott, make the argument that it's not just even injuries that could be an issue, just digression in in play as the years go on? I mean, he plays a bit of a harder game. I mean, you look at what he played on the Mitch Marner and the Austin Matthews line. He He had success on that line this past season because he did what those two players aren't going to do. So if you're going to bring him in, you want him to play that sort of role with, say, an Elias Pettersson. Let's put him on Elias Pettersson's wing, and you want him to go to the corners. You want him to be hard on the puck, hard on the forecheck, and do all sorts of those things. Could we not just think about the fact that that leads to more injuries, to your point, but also it leads to just a hard game that's hard on your body and take out injuries, but just can you keep that up as you hit that 30-year mark where you can either go one of two ways, and usually players at that age go the wrong direction. I thought Mike Fuda gave a very good and reasonable take on Zach Hyman, the player. He said, every team would love to have him. I'd love to have him if I was a general manager in the league right now. The problem in Mike Fuda's estimation of paying a Zach Hyman something in the $6 million range is that he is not a natural scorer. That doesn't mean he's not productive. He is. And has been. And if you put him with two talented players, he will continue to be productive. But what Feuda said was, if you sign a player like Zach Hyman to a 6 by 6 well, all of a sudden there's an expectation of what your floor is going to be production-wise. If your team starts to struggle at all, and Zach Hyman's sitting there with 12 goals, and he's getting paid $6 million, that's a difficult pill to swallow, and it's a difficult one to sell. He thinks Hyman will be productive, but he is not a natural goal scorer. He is a clean-up dirty area bang the puck in every team wants that guy that every team wants that guy yeah mm-hmm. but that guy doesn't score with the natural with the natural ability that the guy his line mates do for example and those are the players you generally pay a premium for and that's the risk i think when you think of like a six by six well he's not a natural scorer so if he's not paired with someone say i don't know edmonton's interested Connor mcdavid and leon drysaddle is your top line or whatever it's going to be scott like the reason he had the production that he has that he did you could argue was because he was with mitch marner and austin matthews last season right like he benefited by those two players you know a high elite level high elite level center and then mitch marner obviously we know what he is and if you don't put him in that and you sign him to a six by six or a higher AAV and the production's not there, just to your point, it's like he's not going to match the contract. So that for me, that's why it doesn't make sense technically for Calgary. I just don't think that they have that high elite top line center that he could benefit from. Do you want a Zach Hyman? Yeah, you do. I think he's a good player and I think he could be beneficial on teams. But if I was to look at, say, Vancouver or Calgary or Edmonton, where does he fit better? I'd probably say Edmonton and then Vancouver and then Calgary because I did see someone text in like trademark Giordano to, to uh, Toronto and for Zach Hyman's rights. But again, Calgary, like text 960, 960, let me know. Like, is Zach Hyman a player that you want to have when you look at what the rumored contract would be? Well, and this is what it comes down to, line in the sand. Where is your line in the sand on term? Where is your line in the sand on AAV? And an interesting side discussion for this, and it doesn't have to be exclusive to today. We can have this conversation moving forward as well. When you sign a player in free agency, for example, five-year deal, 
how many of those years need to be good value years or commensurate value years to you live with the deal? Generally, you're going to overpay somewhere in free agency. Maybe it's with an extra year on the contract. Maybe it's with a little bit more money. So we can use a couple of guys, for example. Tyler Toffoli, for example. So Tyler Toffoli, we all love the contract. I love the contract. Tyler Toffoli should have been able to get more money. He didn't. Montreal gets what looks like a great deal right now. So Tyler Toffoli gets hurt in the playoffs. Tyler Toffoli isn't as effective by the end of the playoff season, but nobody's going to argue that year one wasn't a smash success, great value on 4.25. If Tyler Toffoli in year three of this four-year deal has an underwhelming season, is that canceled out by year one? Like, not every player, in fact, most players in the National Hockey League are not going to be able to stay at a consistent level over the length of their deal, especially as they make their ways into the 30s. So do you say, look, as long as we get more... Good years than bad, I'm fine with that deal. There's going to be a point where a player signs and you have to criticize the player because the player is not as consistent. Uh, You know, you hear this all the time. A 20-goal scorer has 62 games at least that he doesn't score in. At least. Probably going to be some two-goal games in there. Well, that leaves a lot of time for slumps and all those sorts of things. Does that mean you don't have a good player? Yeah, and I I see where you're getting with that because I look at it as – it's, it's all about where you sign this player at his age, because like you said, Tyler Toffoli, when he signed this deal last year, was 28 years old, who signed a four-year four year deal at 28 years old. So it's going to 32. And the potential is that at the age of 32, he still has some jam left in his game. But if he doesn't, you only have him until year 32. You don't have him in year 33, 34, 35, which when you go and look at Scott 2016 and the silly season that was 2016 with the Lucic, Ocposo, Ladd, Erickson, Nielsen, Bacchus deals, I mean, all of those deals were players that, well, not all of them, but a majority of them were a lot of power forwards that, you know, as they go on and hit that 30 years, their deals could be almost looked at as bought out deals because the player's development, or not development, the player's production level had gone down so much. So that's why you have to be careful with these. Like, that's why Zach Hyman, at 29 years old, and you give him a six-year deal <laughs> to take him to 35, like, it doesn't make sense. Did you get a con to get a text in? Please stop bringing up Toffoli. <laughs> I'm begging you. Nobody wants to relive that hurt in Vancouver is basically the cease and desist <laughs> that I just got in the text message inbox. Virtually every text we've gotten out of Calgary today has said the same thing. Do yes. not spend any assets to protect Mark Giordano. They all go along the same type of lines. This one, absolutely no way I give up abs- assets for an aging Giordano. I love the guy, but this needs to be looked at as a business decision. What about a trade? Giordano to Toronto for Hyman's rights. Geo's played with Brody as roots in Toronto. That would free up space to possibly sign Hyman. I don't think Toronto can bring on that cap hit. That's not going to happen. I understand the creative thinking there. Someone else says, I would leave Giordano unprotected and pray they take him. Cap space. And I also yeah. seriously consider trading Matthew Kachuk, says Tom, because I don't think he'll re-sign here. And at his projected cap hit, he may not be worth that. It's the first mention we've seen of Matthew Kachuk today, but most of the texters that consider themselves Flames fans are saying, yeah, okay, Giordano's been great for this team, Norris winner, captain, all of those things, but this team is in no position to spend assets to keep this player. No, and, and that was my point with the entire thing, was the fact that, hey, look, it's, <laughs> I get it. The I understand why Brad for Living's having the discussion with the Kraken. He is... And has been like, if you were to ask Daryl Sutter, 
Scott, who his top defenseman was last year. He's probably going to say Chris Tanev, but Mark Giordano is a player that obviously he would love to have on his team. But at 38 years old, why would you want to give up some sort of assets when you also don't know, and I don't know what Brad Treliving's, the discussions have been around, uh, say, uh, Johnny Goudreau or Sean Monaghan, what the market's like for that. But I just feel that if you're losing him and you have cap space and you have to kind of change your core around, don't you want to keep the assets and draft picks to try and build this team moving forward? It just makes sense to me that a draft pick or an asset for a 38-year-old defenseman with one year where, like the texters say, can get cap, give you some cap relief as well, makes sense. I Like, captain, loyalty, all those things. I get it, but it's a business at the end of the day. There is a decision there, and uh, there, pardon me, there is a, a value there. There's a value to the things you just mentioned. There certainly is. And there is an asset that if the Flames were to give it up to protect Mark Giordano, if it's low enough on their asset range that people would be okay with. Like first Six and a third, pick? everybody says no chance. Okay, well, what if it was a third-round pick? Would people say the player's worth more than we're probably going to get with that third-round pick anyway? I'm okay with that. Would people be okay with it? I have no idea. Or is it fine line, sorry, It if you take them, you take them. We're just willing to live with it. There's probably an asset somewhere, and everybody's got a different opinion on that, that makes you say, okay, I'm fine with keeping the player. Mitch and Victoria has this suggestion for the Vancouver Canucks. Tarasenko wants out of St. Louis. He's due nine and a half this year, five and a half next year in real money. He's got the seven and a half million dollar cap hit. Louis Erickson is due three million dollars in real money and a six million dollar hit in his last year. It's eleven point five real money savings for St. Louis could allow them to try and sign Landeskog. Van gets an elite Russian mentor for Pod Colson. I don't think St. Louis is making that deal. I understand the wishful thinking there. I understand the want to gamble on Vladimir Tarasenko for a couple of years. St. Louis isn't doing that. No, I don't see St. Louis making that deal. It's interesting, though, that St. Louis, with the Landeskog, being linked to Landeskog because they saw him light it up against St. Louis themselves in the first round of the playoffs, Scott, would be interesting to see if they go after him because they go, wait, he could do that for us. Uh, longtime Flames fan, I would love to see them expose Geo to the Kraken and see what Seattle does. He's a 38-year-old. We cannot afford to lose prospects and picks to hold on to him. He's a fan favorite, but to be competitive again, True Living has to make tough decisions and let him go. That's from Nedcat in Lethbridge. And one of the things is, Scott, you asked about, like, what would there be a asset that you're willing to trade or give up? A sixth-round pick, fourth-round pick, fifth-round pick to keep Mark Giordano, but... Is the cap space not the bigger asset, maybe? Maybe that's the bigger asset for a lot of Flames fans. Always depends what you do with it. Always depends what you do with it. And, hey, there are a bunch of scenarios that could play out here, and one of them is that Seattle takes Mark Giordano and then flips him. And what if that flip goes to Edmonton? How do you feel about it then? Questions to be answered at a later date. Let's get to what they're saying. You may have heard this, Karen. The Stanley Cup went back to Montreal. It was yeah. for repairs. So Patrick Maroon can claim that he not only helped St. Louis bring a cup home, Tampa Bay bring a couple of cups home, but that he actually got the Stanley Cup to Montreal. Not the way he wanted it to get there, not the way they wanted it to receive it. It got dented. How did it get dented? What happened? Here's Patrick Maroon this morning yeah, explaining it. Complete accident. Uh, I tried to lift it, and as we, you know, it was a little wet outside in Tampa. Uh, during the parade, and it was a complete accident. I, I just slipped underneath my feet, and 
like, you know, I mean, the cup probably weighs 70 pounds. You're having a few cocktails. Um, One or two. And I just, <laughs> uh, and it just kind of went, my feet went up sideways and the cup kind of almost took me back. And it kind of went sideways. I was trying to save the whole thing and, and myself. <laughs> uh, we, and it just tipped over to the left of me. So, uh, complete accident. Uh, but I honestly, it was so wet outside. It was, there was like a lot of, lot of puddles, you know, and, uh, I wasn't wearing the right proper shoes probably for a rainstorm. Okay, so the Stanley Cup doesn't weigh 70 pounds to begin with, which leads to this question. When you've had a few, do things you pick up feel lighter because you've had a few or heavier because you've had a few? Because he's about – he he, he doubled the weight there. It's approximately 35 pounds. Don't you think, like, lighter, I think? Like, you think you have more strength in the world, but maybe you don't because you don't have full control of your – extremities at that point and your wits at that point if a couple of uh pop pops wobbly pops have been consumed i will say this patrick maroon shame on you this is the third year in a row you've lifted this cup you should know how to treat it even if you've had a couple of wobbly pops because he's done it before in the past come on patty be better than that he's in a rainstorm karen hold on a second tom brady has had the lombardi trophy in his hand and has been to seven parades now in his career and he could barely stand He, had, he could barely stand during his boat parade. If there's anybody who should know how to consume during a parade, it's Tom Brady, and that guy needed help walking around. Maybe tequila con- included with being on a boat, a little bit of motion sickness led to Tom uh, being a little bit more off kilter than he normally would. Hey, Tom didn't drop the drop the uh, Lombardi trophy. Also, they were smart enough to give it to Tom Brady probably in that condition. Hey, I'm just making fun. I'm having fun with Patrick Maroon. He's won three Stanley Cups in a row. You should know how to treat it. I get it. The rainstorm looks terrible. They actually had to cancel the final stage production that they were going to do, but they still wanted to go celebrate with the fans. So I understand it happening. Just Patrick Maroon, be better. Oh, can't be much better than winning three Cups in a row. I heard the host of that interview say to him, Quite frankly, it's your cup. Like, they have a guy, Phil Pritchard, who travels around with the cup, but nobody's been able to take it out of your hands for the past three years. So, at this point, do with it as you will, Patrick Maroon. (laughs) Stephen Brunt was also on radio today. We talked about this in the last couple of days, Karen, about the possibility of the Blue Jays playing some home games because we're going to see CF Montreal host a game this weekend in the MLS. Yes. Supposedly TFC. It's on the schedule, but there's some scuttlebutt as to whether or not it's actually going to happen on this side of the border as soon as tomorrow or not. It looks like it's headed that way but we'll see here's what Brunt had to say about the challenges of the Jays and you could apply this to other teams playing in Canada in the near future well the tricky part you know like again it's the suggestion is that we're we're about to open our border to double vaccinated American tourists by uh, the end of this month or the beginning of next month so uh, but the double vaccinated part I think like the sticking point here and this is you know it does get tricky um is that some baseball players and some team personnel are not vaccinated and, you know, not double vaccinated, maybe not vaccinated at all. And, uh, you know, all we know is that some teams have hit the 85% barrier, so that allows them to kind of loosen things up. But we don't know, you know, who's vac- who's not vaccinated. That's a privacy issue. And you have to have two sets of rules. So, you know, presumably if you have people coming over who are double vaccinated, they, you know, within the context of, 
playing ball at the Rogers Center, we'll be able to live relatively normal lives. But you know, what what do you do bringing un, potentially unvaccinated people in? Um, what are the protocols going to be for them? And they're not just coming in overnight; they're going to be in for a series. Uh, and you know, and then the other ang- element of that, although it seems like it's not going to be a problem, is you have to deal with the players' association about you know if you're going to put guys back in a bubble essentially. Uh, for the time there in Toronto, who haven't had to deal with restrictions in the United States now for quite some time, uh, that's that is going to be an issue for the, that. Potentially, is an issue for those players. So, that I, like, I, I get it; it's complicated. I just think we're beyond the point where it's scary. You know, thinking of a of a baseball team showing up in Toronto, presumably, you know, staying right in the hotel at the stadium or right next door, going back and forth to play games, and then getting on a private jet and leaving. Scott, I'm s- with Brunt on that. People have far more acceptance for that at this point. I'll tell you what doesn't help the case, though. Six Yankees players testing positive, whether they're false positives or not, testing positive yesterday, forcing the postponement of that game with the Red Sox. That doesn't help your case if you're trying to make it right now in Canada. No, it doesn't. And I saw this tweet today, and it made me very consider, you know, when the borders are going to be open or when, you know, I might want, Scott, you might want to go down to the United States. The CDC director said today, quote, this is becoming a pandemic of the unvaccinated south of the border. Numbers are rising all over the place. Like you said, the Yankees, that goes back to Hazel May talking to us yesterday about, you know, Colorado. It was basically normal down there and you have no idea who is double vaccinated who is not the media had to be double vaccinated so she was okay with that but again you don't necessarily know which players are i have real concerns about why the canadian government would want to let teams in right now when you see what's happening south of the border i get they're in a bubble at some point but with the outbreak that or possible outbreak they do say that the yankees red sox should be playing tonight but still like to bring that into the country and have it possibly spread just because you don't know who has what, I just I could see it being a major roadblock right now. We did get this text in saying, tell the teams who don't have more than 85% of their team personnel vaccinated they have to stay in their hotels would be incentive to put more pressure on those who aren't to go get jabbed. I don't have the full list in front of me, but I did see a report in the last two or three days, Karen, that said 23 of 30 teams in Major League Baseball have 85% or more of their players and personnel vaccinated already, which is a far cry from what we're seeing with the NFL right now. The NFL has a lot of issues right now and some uh, competition, apparently, issues that could be coming for this. So, Scott, what was the teams that remain under 50% as of yesterday were Washington, Arizona, Indianapolis, and Los Angeles. There is an update on that. Apparently, the Chargers... I guess I should specify Rams or Chargers. Chargers and Arizona are now above the 50% vaccination rate. Shockingly, the Dallas Cowboys are one of those teams that have had minimal guys get vaccinated. That does not surprise me. Pittsburgh, Miami, Carolina, and Denver have the highest rates and are among seven teams with at least 85% vaccinated. 23% MLB teams are uh, 85% vaccinated or higher. But this will be interesting because the NFL is what? less than two weeks away from players reporting, almost 10 days away from players reporting to camp. So just another story about the vaccination south of the borders and how it's become so political. Quickly to the open and a quick time for a troll job in case you're wondering what's going on overseas right now at St. George's Golf Club in Kent, England. Louis Oosthuizen continues to lead the way. Your first round leader is currently your leader right now. He has not finished his round. He's through 13, but he is 10 under par right now. Colin Morikawa 
He had a great round shot, 64 earlier in the day. He is just one shot off the pace, as is Jordan Spieth, who is currently on course as well. Troll job, Brooks Kepka. Yeah, they go together right now because of the feud with Bryson DeChambeau, who acted like an infant yesterday and rolled around like a toddler when talking about his driver. Brooks Kepka having a little fun with it after his round. You know, I thought the wind died down. Um, compared to yesterday, I didn't think it was as, as bad, so you could be a little bit more aggressive. Um, drove the ball great. Love my driver. Um, it's uh, Everything's going really well. You know, I, I felt like my pace was, was pretty solid. Um, I just needed to hit some putts harder, and, and that's what I did today. Through a love my driver in there after DeChambeau had a meltdown about his and was forced to backtrack after his own equipment provider said it's tough to defend him when he says things so stupid. Is uh, Brooks also a Cobra driver guy? I don't know. I don't know if he is. Maybe he's starting some uh, love towards Cobra. I just have to point this out. Brooks, um, Bryson DeChambeau did backtrack. He apologized on social media, but... I don't know how much he's used his driver today on the course or used it today on the course, Scott, but his first hole, 400 and some plus yards where he could have let that driver go. He chose to use an iron and the driver is in the bag. So maybe the driver does is in a timeout today. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't been able to see exactly how his round's going today. Brooks Kepka had a very good round, as he mentioned there. Winds died down a little bit. He is tied for ninth right now. And the current leaderboard is Brooks Kepka. We're going to head to Colorado next. We had this booked already because the Avalanche are infinitely interesting in our opinion. And they got in front of the market yesterday. They got in front of their protection issue. Mark Moser, play-by-play voice of the Colorado Avalanche, joins us next right here on Rintoul and Sermon. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. Nothing yet. Hasn't happened yet. But I'm anticipating something happen over the next two and a half hours of our program today Karen it should be a pretty busy day maybe it happens a little later maybe it happens closer to the deadline but we are just over 24 hours away from the roster freeze and a trade freeze in the National Hockey League and if you're a team that has protection issues if you're a team that doesn't and thinks you can poach somebody for a lower price than you would have to in most years now's the time to get her done yeah, you just wonder if it's a little slow right now, still trying to figure out if Ron Francis ask will go down. Scott, you know, discussing with other teams. Obviously, Vancouver is one of those teams that thinks it can be a player and helping broker maybe getting a player off your protection list for maybe a cheaper deal than what Ron Francis is hoping. So we'll see what happens going forward. But uh, I do think that it's going to pick up. We've got, like you said, couple hours left in our show. I did expect at least something to happen today. I'm a little surprised that we haven't had anything, but again, it may be cost and people are trying to weigh the cost benefit of working with Ron Francis and working with a different franchise. Yeah, it feels like it'll go down. It's just whether or not it happens during the show a little later on today. The Ryan Graves deal, we talked about a potential deal with Ryan Graves yesterday. This isn't the one that we had speculated, but there was some smoke around Darcy Kemper and the Colorado Avalanche. Mm-hmm. They are talking to Darcy. While well, they're talking to the Avalanche, or pardon me, the Arizona Coyotes about it. The yep. Leafs are in on those conversations as well. Seattle allegedly has interest in Darcy Kemper, and we said, okay, look, you got a protection issue with your defenseman. Does Ryan Graves get moved in that deal? Is there potential for that to happen? It'll be a separate deal now because Graves is on his way to the New Jersey Devils. That got completed last night. A second-round pick and a younger player coming back. You save about $2.3 million in cap space as well if you're the Avalanche, and that is going to be necessary given some of the contracts you need to sign. 
Do you remember when we were doing the five teams that will define this offseason last week? I think a week ago today, and somebody had brought up the New Jersey Devils. And you and I actually really hadn't talked about them, and nobody's really even talked about them. They've kind of been an afterthought. Uh, they've got $30 million in cap space. They've got a couple of young players and Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer to try and start building around. I don't know if I see it as the same situation as Los Angeles, where the teardown was done, because how much was... I guess Jersey was doing a teardown to a point. They were just bad enough to get first overall draft picks. But Rob Blake has decided that now start the time of the rebuild. Is this what New Jersey does too? Because they do have some cap space. Their owners apparently said, yes, let's start making this team better, but do not sacrifice the future of this team. Like we are not trading the prospects. We are not trading a Jack Hughes or a Nico Heischer or anything like that. That's what apparently Tom Fitzgerald told Pierre Lebrun of the Athletics. So, you know what? New Jersey could be another player to see a couple of, you know, I'm Gonna, I can help you out going forward. I want to say it was Kellen, regular listener to the program, who happens to be a New Jersey fan. I may have the name wrong there, but text in Kellen or whoever it was that texted about the New Jersey Devils. I do see a similarity between the Devils and the Kings and what they're trying to do because both signaled, yeah, we made a move, but we're not done as of yet. The Avalanche have some things to do, maybe not with their protection list, but certainly contractually and shoring up a couple positions on their team. One that is expected to be a Stanley Cup contender again next season. Mark Moser knows that. He's the play-by-play voice of the Colorado Avalanche. And he joins us, though he's playing hurt today. Mark, thank you very much for doing this. How are you? I'm doing good, guys. Hold on a second. So Kellen is a Devils fan living in Vancouver. Actually, in Alberta. We broadcast to both the Vancouver and Calgary markets. We are a Western Canadian show, and Kellen tunes in, I believe, from Medicine Hat on a daily basis. I, I didn't know there was a Devils fan outside of New Jersey, but there you go. I mean, you learn something new every single day. That's amazing. <laughs> you probably have a few Albertans who are Avs fans after the Avs drafted Kale McCarr. Not that they necessarily <laughs> leave the Oilers or the Flames just for one player, but there are a lot of people that are pretty happy to see him do well, not the least of which live in Denver. Yeah, no doubt about it. He's he's you know a superstar player already, and he's going to be. I mean, I you know for the rest of his career, he's, we as soon as he was drafted, I think we all knew that he was going to be something really really special. And, you know, you, you wait for him, he, he goes to college, becomes a pro, and then here he is. Now his contract is up, and so <laughs> I know you guys you, you guys uh, understand that, that, you know, he's going to get paid and, and the Avs have to pay some guys, but uh, every team goes through it, and that's what this Avalanche team is right now. No question about it, and he is one of a number of Avalanche players who need new contracts. He happens to be RFA as opposed to Landis Cog, who's a UFA, and we get into some of those other contracts in a second. But as that pertains to the Ryan Graves deal, yes, that is getting in front of the expansion draft. How key was it to free up approximately $2.3 million of cap space moving forward in that deal as well? Well, I think it was important. You know, this Avalanche team has been doing a good job to develop Guys on the back end, and Graves. I think Graves. When you when you're talking about the abs, um, you know, it's sort of found found money. That was was what Ryan Graves was. I mean, he was traded for obviously the abs sent a defenseman to uh, to New York. That that you know, okay, the guy's not really you know doing much. Um, we'll see if he comes up, you know, an NHLer. And Graves was kind of the same way coming back. It spent a lot of time in the minor leagues. Uh, and and was given an opportunity with this Avalanche squad and really blossomed. I mean, two years ago, he led the league in plus-minus, got a nice contract out of it. 
Um, you know, it was very solid again this year, but the Fs have done a really good job of, of drafting and developing. I mean, Kale McCarr is clearly a superstar. We know that. But, you know, Connor Timmons has become a player. Bowen Byram, we all believe, is going to be a, a very, very good player for this Av squad. And in a position that at one time was, was very much depleted for the Avs, the defensive core, yeah, they've done a good job. So, you know, that, I'm not saying you can ever, you know, afford to just get, give away a Ryan Graves for – you know, a prospect or a player in a, in a second-round pick, but um, it, it hurts, certainly hurts less to try to get ahead of it in the expansion draft and lose a guy for absolutely nothing. So the protection now looks like it's probably going to be Sam Girard, Devin Tays, and Kale McCarr going forward. Do you see more action from Joe Sackick on that blue line? I heard spec or I saw speculation on Twitter. I can't remember where I saw it that you know could Sam Girard be possibly part of a bigger deal? Do they want to go maybe the Seth Jones route? Is Ryan Suter a free agent signing possibility for them? Do you see more moves coming from this on this back end? Yeah, it's 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 a great question, and I would suppose I would say perhaps because I, I'm not talking about even about Sam Gerrard. You know, it's it's going to be interesting for me to see you know how they how they proceed going forward because when you when you get to the second round three years in a row and you know you lose in the second round three years in a row, you're doing a lot of things right, but you need to do a little something different. Um, and, and they really like Sam Gerard. I mean, he was part of the Matt Duchesne deal, and you know he's been nothing but terrific. He's earned everything he's gotten with this Avalanche squad. Um, but I, I'm sure they're going to protect him, uh, and you know, and he's going to be a guy that that I think is going to be an Avalanche player for some time to come. Now, I think people are also speculating because people are looking at the F situation. You know, they've got now you know over 27 million under the cap, but they've got to sign Gabe. They've got to sign. Kale, they hopefully you know can go and get Grubauer as well, but you've got to save a little money, I think, for the future and plan on Nathan McKinnon in a couple of years because he's probably going to double his current salary or close to it. And so people they come up with all kinds of speculations. Okay, well, well, this guy's making five. What if they move this guy out? And what if they get rid of this guy? And then you know all that sort of thing. I think people while while Joe Sackett could want to add bigger names and and try to get over the hump from the second round because he's got a, a team that's in a window to win a Stanley Cup. I think people also play loose a little bit with names because they're trying to find money to keep other guys around. And, you know, okay, we can get rid of this guy, and this guy can be moved, mm-hmm. and what about stuffing this guy over here? So we'll see. I just think that, that any time you're never satisfied when you lose in you know, game seven, game seven, then game six in the second round, and and you're still looking for that little extra to put you over the top. There was, or there has been, obviously, contract negotiations ongoing with Philip Grubauer, but they have not come to terms. They've cleared a bit of cap space with this uh, trade for... um the trade for Graves that they just did, and they're going to lose another player off their roster in the expansion draft, which will clear a little bit more space. Do you think it's Philip Grubauer back next year, or do you think they might go a different direction? Well, I would hope so. You know, one thing that that was good about Philip Grubauer for this Avalanche team, not only did he play well, it was a Vezina finalist this year, but he was very cost-effective. You know, Varley was making $6 million a year before, obviously, he he left and went to New York, and and they were abs were very happy about Grubauer being their number one. And it's funny because people were thinking to themselves, well, you know, Grubauer's never done in the playoffs. You know, can he be a one? I think the abs 
from the time they made the deal, they thought he could be a one. And you know, he was making three and a half, and now either it's the Avalanche or somebody else is going to pay Philip Grubauer a lot of money. Um, and and here's what I do know. I do know that general managers around this league, they get jumpy, and they get, they get I, I guess, yeah, they, they want to just go, go, go. And so they start giving out these contracts, and I, you guys have seen it. Um, everybody in Alberta and Vancouver, they, you know, you see GMs give out deals where you go. If guys, if you, if you and I are going, man, why would they give that guy that deal? Then, you know, you know, the fans are saying the same thing. And then, you know, a year or two later, three years, like, Oh, what a terrible contract. They should never have done that. Well, GMs, they feel a lot of pressure. You know, they want to win. They feel the pressure to win. So, you know, how much could Gruby get on the open market? I don't know, but probably a lot. Uh, but the cost-effectiveness of Grubauer was very, very, you know, was very important to this Avalanche team. I know they want him back. I know he wants to be back. He did play in the celebrity softball game at the All-Star game over at Coors Field, you know, this past weekend. So, um, yeah, you know, I guess that makes me feel kind of good. If he was out of here and he wanted to go someplace else and, and he was, you know, looking to sign with somebody else, you know, would he stick around town and, and playing the celebrity softball game, you know, wearing a Rockies uniform that said Grubauer on it. I don't know. And maybe that's just me trying to, to be wishful here, thinking thinking a little bit more than, than it should be. But, uh, you know, I'm under the impression that the Avs want all these guys back and want to try to do something to make it happen for sure. He'll probably have to take a little bit of a discount, probably not hitting a home run, maybe in the softball game, but not with the contract if he sticks in Colorado. <laughs> Mark Moser, the Colorado Avalanche play-by-play voice, joining us here this morning on Rintoul and Sermon. They would like Gabriel Landis-Cog back as well. Why hasn't this gotten done? Is it money? Is it term? Is it both? It could be both, and I don't know. Again, when I think when you look down the road, and it, it, you know, let's say even a year ago, okay, well, we know Nathan McKinnon's going to come up, and that he, he was an interesting cat because I think when he signed his contract, um, I think he was honestly underperforming what, what the Avs gave him because he had a great rookie year, obviously, and then started to scuffle a little bit, scuffle a little bit, uh, signed the big contract, and then he just exploded. you know. And, and now he's way outperforming his contract, and everybody realizes that. But you know what else, guys? Everybody always says about McKinnon, he's constantly reminded – that he's outperforming his contract, right? I mean, everywhere you go, everybody loves to say, oh, my God, they got McKinnon at 6'3", and, you know, he could be making, you know, 11, 12. And, and so it's just a constant thing that's beat over the head, and I'm sure the Avalanche know that too. And, and so it's, it's like, golly, when, when he is up, you know, it, it, he's going to want to be paid, and, and rightfully so, and he should be paid. So you have to think about that in the future. Then you got to think about Kale, who's burst onto the scene and, He'll go from making, you know, uh, just under a million to whatever Gail McCarr is going to be able to command, even as an RFA, because he's clearly a cornerstone piece for a franchise for for eternity, as far as I think everybody is concerned. So then that that gets into the why wasn't it done earlier? And and you know, Gabe, you know, he, he you know, what what is he worth? Well, he's worth a lot because of the intangibles, because he's such a good leader, because he's. He's grown as the captain of this team over the last decade. You know, he now has a wife and, and two children, and he can relate to every single guy because he's seen it all and done it all and been through it all. So all those intangibles factor in. Um, I know the Avs want him, and I know that he wants to be here. But again, I go back to it. 
it's scary if the 28th rolls around because there's always a GM. I mean, is Gabe worth nine, ten a year? I, I, I don't imagine so. I don't think so. But there, are, I've seen some contracts given out by some GMs in this league where I just I cannot believe it. I just cannot believe. Yeah, we'll give you seven years. I mean, look at the Bobrovsky contract. Now you're like, how in the world did that happen? Um, but but they do happen. And if somebody threw, listen, if I'm Gabe Landeskog and somebody threw and I got to the 28, you know, eight, nine, ten per year at me for whatever the dang term, I'm probably going to take it. So that does get a bit scary. But I know that the Avs want him and he wants them. And there's still a window here, even in a compressed offseason, there's still a window to try to get it done. And again, guys, I am eternally optimistic that the captain of the Avalanche will remain the captain of the Avalanche. There are all kinds of pressures. You referenced it earlier. General managers feel pressure to get contracts done. Where's the market at? What does the fan base say when it comes to Gabe Landis Cog and, and where's their discontent aimed? Uh, they 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 want their captain. I mean, they do. Uh, I, I think people, though, it's interesting. I'm sure it's been that way in, in your guys' markets as well. Over the years, people become more savvy about the cap, right, and about now the flat cap and, and the you know, it's not going up. So, you got to try to fit everybody in, and they've seen other teams try to fit guys in, and then it, it backfires on them. Or they've seen teams win, and, and believe me, if you can win a cup or two or three, a la Chicago, uh, you know you'll you'll deal with cap hell in the future in order to you know to try to in order to get the reward of the Stanley Cup. So, but people become very savvy, and they understand. I, I think they they start to listen. Landis Gog is their guy. They've known him since he was a baby. And the, and the very, you know, super young captain on this team, they want him back for sure. But I think people also realize, well, okay, you can't pay every human being on the planet, you know, between eight and 10 million bucks a year. You love to, I mean, if there was no capture, pay it all. But, but I think people also realize, you know, you've got to take from Peter to pay Paul. And then, you know, who do you want to be your Paul? And, and so all this, but I think the, the sentiment is they, they want the captain back and they don't, they're not thinking that the abs are blowing it or anything of that nature. I think everybody's just concerned the closer we get. And and that seems to be the running sentiment right now. Mark, I think I saw the tweet from Jeremy Rutherford, and he said, well, if Colorado can't resign him, St. Louis would be very much interested in him. I can only imagine that's probably worst-case scenario for Colorado fans. Oh, I think it would be. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it, it would be uh, – yeah, it would be – you know, it's the same kind of thing. If if you have a flame span and they go, uh, well, you know, if, if they can't sign him, the oil's right there to pick him up. They're going to yeah. offer him the, you know, the house. You're like, oh, my God, no, please, God. You know, that's one of those deals. Um, and I guess that comes with, you know, the, the, the thinking they're going to have the Tarasenko bread freed up, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Listen, they're, they're, in, in my opinion, there is going to be no shortage of suitors for Gabe Landeskog should he come free. And I've also heard this, too. I mean, I've heard through back channels that there are several GMs that would love to to just throw dough at him you know I mean he's he's still he's right in his prime he's a big strong up and down the wall winger you know he's a true leader he's he's everything that you want he's all of that for sure he's coming off a good year uh the question is you know now he's almost 30 years old he's 29 so what what kind of player is he going to be when he's 35? I know some GMs say I don't care. I don't care if he if he loses a step when he's 32 or 33. I don't care because Gabe is big and strong and 
And, you know, he has, he has dealt with things in the past uh, in terms of injury, but they don't care. They want the immediate gratification. And they'll, they'll, deal, with, you know, they'll, they'll deal with Parisi and Suter, you know, five years, six years down the line, right, or whatever it is, three years down the road, whatever the case may be. They don't care. They just want, they want that immediate gratification now, and they don't think about the long-term health of the franchise. Um, and so I think that there are plenty of GMs out there right now who are just desperate. They feel the pressure within their market. Uh, they, believe me, I'm sure Joe Sackett feels the pressure here in, in, within this market to try to get something done because he's a, he's a terrific player and a terrific guy. Well, if the worst-case scenario transpires and Landis Cog leaves and he leaves for St. Louis and you need any way to cope, just call Canucks fans who watched Jacob Markstrom and Chris Tanna wind up in Calgary last year. Yeah, exactly. I was just thinking that. I'm like, yeah, I, I think Canucks fans could probably relate, right? And you're going, hey, that, that's our guy. And now, no, now he's in Alberta. No, 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 no. That, that, that doesn't work that way. I mean, it'd be like, yeah, I'd be like, you know, one of your, I guess in the Central here, you know, one of these guys taking off and signing a big fat deal with Minnesota. And then you just want to, you know, you want to go walk into traffic and call it a day. <laughs> Is that how I you know, got your I torn know, Achilles? How... Is that how you got your torn Achilles? Because you walked into oh. traffic? I'm told you're dealing with a major injury here. No, you guys. Oh, no. I, I, yeah, I know I injured it last November, and I've been trying to nurse it along. I tried to nurse it along for like six, seven months, and I went to the doctor and this kind of thing and nursed it along. And then about uh, almost a month ago, it went... It just popped. Sunday a month ago, it popped, and then I had surgery the next day, and so that's where I am. And I would, I would say to everybody, if you can get something replaced, you know, tear anything else, but don't do your Achilles because it's just the, it's the most debilitating, longest thing on the planet. It's just ridiculous. True, what they say though, it doesn't actually hurt, but all of a sudden you're incapacitated. Well, I heard it. I actually heard. I heard it pop, and if they say it doesn't hurt. They're crazy because it felt like somebody <laughs> poured hot lava down the back of my leg. I was like, but I knew exactly, you know, as soon as you do it, it's like you don't want to believe it, but you know, that's exactly what happened. And I, I mean, I, I've never heard a body part pop like that. It literally popped. Well, you've got a poll question you can run with as fans. Would you rather tear your Achilles or lose Gabe Landis-Cog to the Blues? And we'll see what they choose. <laughs> Uh, they would actually. I think Avalanche fans would would if they put if most tear his Achilles again, they would say he can tear every body part in the world. I don't care. Tear every tendon, every knee, every Achilles. <laughs> we want to keep game. Uh, now, now for themselves, they may think differently. But if it comes to me, their uh, their TV guy, yeah, pop everything. Nobody cares. They they want their captain. And and listen, guys. Last thing too. Uh, this Avs team is close, and we know they're close. And heck, right now, mm-hmm. as you look at Vegas, with the Cup favorite again, right at five to one. Uh, that's how good they are, and they've got young players in the system. Newhook is coming on. You know, Byram is going to be there. He's going to be a terrific mm-hmm. player. So they, they've drafted and developed really well. But, you know, you, you want to keep your guys, too, because Gabe Landis-Coggs in the open market are hard to find. I just wish that – I just wish always that there was more dough to play with, that we wouldn't even be having these conversations. You're right. You're right about that, and that's why you got to win within your window. Mark, thank you very much for doing this. The compliments are rolling into our inbox as we have this conversation. Rest up, take care, heal well, and we'll talk again soon. My pleasure, guys. Great to talk to you. Hey to, uh, to British Columbia. Hey to, uh, to Alberta. Great to talk to you guys. Be good. Thanks, we will. Mark. Thank you very much. That is Mark Moser, the play-by-play voice of the Colorado Avalanche. There is a good question. Like, as a fan, would you be willing to suffer something like a torn Achilles to keep a player that is beloved to your team? Somebody that you might lose to free agency. 
<laughs> if there's a contract you would like off your books that's been an albatross on your books for the last maybe five, six seasons, Scott, would you be willing to <laughs> suffer a injury just to get that off the books? It can go two ways. Well, not for one year. Would you take just one year? Like Louis Erickson, for example. Would not you be willing to tear your own Achilles if you're a Canucks fan just to get Louis Erickson off the books for your final year in the deal? Final year, maybe that's a little dramatic, but if we don't have to talk about it anymore, you might be more willing to because it saves you $6 million in cap space and you will have to talk about the contract and the player anymore. See, this to me, if you're talking about getting a contract off the books, this is where you bring up like a Jeff Skinner contract. Six years left, $9 million per. Would you get that off the books to deal with the rehab associated with tearing your Achilles? I if you're a Sabres I fan. Think... Scott, you've been in this, you've been listening to Canucks fans for a very long time. I would don't think you'd be surprised to find out what Canucks fans be willing to do just to get that name out of the city and not have to talk about it anymore. I don't think you'd be surprised. Prove me wrong then. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong, Canucks fans. Or prove me wrong, Flames fans. Would you be willing to tear your Achilles as opposed to seeing Brad Treliving commit assets to protect Mark Giordano in Vancouver? <laughs> would you be willing to tear your Achilles to get Louis Erickson's final year off your books, or would you just rather live with that pain? Interesting tie-in because our next guest, not right away, coming up in a half hour's time as we'll take a little mm -hmm. deviation from most of the hockey talk that we've had today, Kahari Jones, a guy who suffered an Achilles, and he's one of the guys who told me it didn't actually hurt. I heard it pop. I knew what I did. It was no good. Didn't like the recovery, but it didn't actually hurt me. He joins us. You should, too. Keep it rolling. Lots of texts coming in. We'll get to them next right here on Rental and Sermon.